Certain polyfluoroalkyl alkyl substances, also called PFAS, have recently been pulled into the limelight. You probably know PFAS by their mainstream term, forever chemicals. And on this episode of Through the Water Cycle on Solving Water, the Xylem podcast, Xylem's VP of Government Affairs, Mark Hansel, and Water Utilities Business Development Manager, Kevin Fliss, explain exactly what PFAS are, why we should be concerned about them, and how utilities and industries can manage them. Here's the conversation. Hello, and thanks for joining us for today's episode of Through the Water Cycle on Xylem Solving Water podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Holloway, and I'm here with Mark Hansel, Xylem's VP of Product Regulatory and Government Affairs, and Kevin Fliss, Business Development Manager for Xylem's Water Utilities Market. Welcome to you both. Thank you for coming here today to lay out the PFAS situation for our listeners because I think there's a lot of, uh, there's just a lot to understand about what these so-called forever chemicals are and how they're affecting our groundwater supply just around, well, around the world, but I think primarily um, we've got some some issues here in the U.S. with it. So maybe we could just start by, Kevin, you um, helping us understand what PFAS are. Yeah, first of all, uh, Amanda, thanks for uh, having me on this episode of uh, Through the Water Cycle. I'll, I'll just add this, that um, I, I think you're right. I think education is a really critical piece here. I think a lot of folks hear about PFAS here or there in the media. Um, they've even had a recent motion picture, Dark Waters, for those who want to see it uh, out there. But um, a lot of this is, you know, scientific driven, mm-hmm. right? And they want to make sure that they have information to the accurate uh, data. And uh, to just start very simply, um, of course, us chemical engineers like myself, we try to make everything overly complicated and we use these organic chemistry terms, but PFAS, uh, P-F-A-S, the acronym actually stands for perfluoral alkyl or polyfluoral alkyl substances. Essentially, it's a man-made long chain organic chemistry that has a bond uh, from the long chain to a fluorine atom that makes it uh, pretty unique in the fact that it can be stain repellent, it can be water repellent, it's repellent to oil. It's uh, a very, um, in terms of a consumer use, a very effective product. Uh, and for that reason, it was used uh, really frequently in a lot of consumer products and some industrial products as well, uh, firefighting foams, for example. But in consumer uses, you know, stain repellent on, uh, you know, your dishes, uh, you're talking about shampoos and bottles and pizza boxes and waxes and paints and polishes. and you Really? Because um, I yeah. thought the so big, you know, was, the big ones, the Teflon, and you you referenced Dark Waters, and I did watch that movie, yeah. and I did get all new pots and pans, because I know <laughs> that um, <laughs> after that movie, I was like, okay, time to update. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think the one thing I'd add too, Kevin, is you know I think what you know they're known as is forever chemicals too, and and this is just the fact that these things do not break down, so when they're used in something, you know, they stay. And uh, I think the one thing too, it was heavily used in firefighting foam, which is used to put out uh, fires that are very difficult to, you know, water will not extinguish, for example, a jet fuel fire. So you have to use something that smothers it. And that's what these foams will do. Well, 
the problem is, is after they're done, you know, for example, training on a military installation, they practice putting out aircraft fuel fires. And when they're all done, they rinse the foam down the drain and just let it flow out. Well, that's the stuff that never goes away. The PFAS is always- Where, where would you say it's most prevalent? So we, t you know, the Teflon is the big one, right? The nonstick surfaces, but I didn't know it was even in the things that you were mentioning, Kevin, like shampoos and all that. That's crazy. Um, but where, where, do you, where is it most prevalent? So let me clarify a little bit. I don't want to make sure that anyone who's listening to this gets uh, uh, any misleading information. Sure. That's where it was used as a consumer usage for several decades until recently. Right. And then we have this information. And, and to a lot of uh, our government's credit, they've pushed back and convinced the industries to stop using these, these materials in their production practices. But to Mark's earlier point about it being a forever chemical, just because you stop using it today doesn't mean it hasn't already accumulated for the four to five decades before that. Mm -hmm. And it is a sum of all of those uses together because it doesn't biodegrade naturally in the environment. Um, to answer your question about where it's, it's prevalent, uh, there's a lot of different um, areas around the country where, where PFAS has been detected. So the US EPA, to their credit, with the Safe uh, Drinking Water Act, SDWA, uh, they are allowed every five years to build the unregulated contaminant monitoring rule. And that requires uh, water utilities to go out and monitor. It doesn't require them to remove it or to treat for it or anything like that. Just monitor for it so they can figure out where it's located. And uh, PFAS, or, or some members of the PFAS family, because there's a broad number of PFAS compounds that exist out there, uh, were included in UCMR3. Uh, and over 600 sites, uh, 600 water surfaces or groundwater locations around the United States uh, had detect detection limits of uh, these PFAS compounds. That doesn't mean it's every single uh, surface. I, I don't want to give the impression that everyone has PFAS in, in their water. And I heavily encourage, if someone's really curious, to reach out first to their local water utility because they'll provide you that information. They're very transparent. Second, to their state regulator. Um, but third, if they, if they really um, want another source of information, uh, the Environmental Working Group, or EWG, has done a phenomenal job of really uh, collecting all of this data from UCMR3 and making it very digestible uh, on a very wide scale. And in particular, to answer your question, they have a map that will show of all the locations where the PFAS was detected. And you'll see that there's some heavy concentrations in the Carolinas, in the Northeast, Michigan and California, probably are the four biggest locations. Um, but there, again, there are other uh, one-offs or two-offs here. Sure. There. So why, I mean, so you just mentioned PFAS has been around for decades, right? And so all of a sudden now we're, we're seeing in mainstream media um, forever chemicals, um, contaminants of emerging concern or um, what have you. Why is this all of a sudden exploded to be this big hot button issue? I'll take a crack at that, Amanda. I, I think the, um, the, the biggest thing is that there have now been medical studies done that have linked health conditions like kidney and testicular cancer, hypertension, 
and development and reproductive issues that are linked back to PFAS. So um, if someone is consuming water that is contaminated, there are risk, higher risk of those issues or medical issues arising. So I think that's what's really bringing this more to a forefront. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, the one thing too, you know, you asked like where, I mean, I think the, the most contaminated sites are the manufacturing sites where the PFAS was made. Also military sites where it was heavily used in firefighting at home. And, you know, it really comes down to what are the sources of water in those areas. So uh, for example, I live near an Air Force base. I know that that Air Force base has announced that they have PFAS in their water. You know, so they are waiting to see what the, the recommended levels are of safe drinking water need to be with PFAS in it. So, you know, because obviously they're concerned about the military families that live on that base and consume that water. So Kevin, I don't know anything else you'd add, but that, that would just be my perspective on it. Yeah, I, I first of all, I totally agree that this is all scientific data driven. And the fact that we have more research now to suggest that these contaminants lead to uh, illnesses that obviously creates a lot of uh, attention. I, but, but I would also argue a little bit that, uh, again, more recently, it's becoming more and more in uh, the public view. A lot of times, I'm, again, I don't want to dispel uh, or diminish the value of water. I love water and I think everyone should value water immensely. But a, a lot of times we just kind of open up our tap and just assume we take it for face value and don't really think much about it. But very recently, uh, because of the nature of some of these studies that Marcus talked about, I think the public opinion is really uh, creating a lot of demand and interest on uh, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to protect uh, the public and make sure that we, we take steps forward? So I think a lot of this, this momentum is actually being built just because people uh, uh, have a lot more, I don't want to say knowledge, but definitely interest in this specific topic. Okay. Um, and cu I'm curious about this. PFAS, we're talking about it in water. Does it, it also affects other organic matter like soil and stuff like that so if you were to like farm you know farm areas where the soil is affected would that also be considered contamination or is it really PFAS really just present in the water there are other ambient sources of PFAS yes I mean it it, it to to Mark's point it's a forever chemical it doesn't biodegrade and if you have it in the water and that's a you know, adjacent to uh, an agricultural field, it'll migrate there. Or, um, for example, if it's in sewage, and that sewage then creates, uh, uh, you know, a land-applied uh, uh, product, then then it's going to seep into that agriculture that way as well in the soil that you reference. So, again, unless you physically take steps to remove it, it will migrate. Uh, from place to place to place. And, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges, and, and Mark mentioned research before, is we're trying to research ways that we can effectively destroy it. Uh, I, I know maybe I'm uh, progressing the conversation a little too quickly, but we know ways that, of how to remove it uh, through a physical barrier, but then that's just moving it from one place to another. How do we actually physically destroy it so it doesn't you know, just go into the landfill and then 
accumulate there instead of in the water source itself. Yeah, and, so. and maybe I can add to this too. And I, I, um, I attended a presentation that was put on by the city of Tucson and um, they talked about their PFAS situation because again, Tucson has a large Air Force base in the immediate area. Um, so they had firefighting foam, they had contamination issues. And the problem is that, you know, just understand that, so the city of Tucson received the wastewater from that Air Force base with the firefighting foam remnants in it. They cleaned the water to acceptable federal guidelines and they had a substantial water reuse system. So the water was then used to irrigate agricultural fields. It was used to irrigate city parks. It was used to irrigate city golf courses. They sell the water to other golf courses. So all of those sites are now contaminated. And so wow. you just, you just because of that forever chemical status, you start to understand it's now in all of that soil. And when organic matter like plants are grown there, you know, it's contaminated. You know, so it, I mean, it just, the whole thing, you can start to understand how it perpetuates and continues. So, um, you know, the two, city of Tucson is actually suing the manufacturers of the chemicals, trying to recoup the, what they're going to have to spend to clean up all of those contaminated areas. So, um, and, and this is just one story, and this is many, many situations you'll hear similar stories around the country. And by the way, I just want to say, this is a global issue. It truly is, okay? I think it's a real hot button issue in the United States right now, but this exists in Europe, this exists in all over Canada, this exists, you know, in, in, throughout the entire world. So these substances, you know, they were, you know, um, I, I, I always hark back to asbestos, you know, asbestos was a fantastic gasket material, incredible, it was the best material known to man for gaskets, but it also causes cancer, you know, so um, it was eventually removed from the market. So, I mean, that's the, the type of evolution that we're seeing here. But, um, you know, how do you clean it up and treat it? I think that's where you're heading next. So I'll throw it back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how do you yeah. clean it up and treat it? If it's called a forever chemical, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of options for cleanup. But but that's, but there are some ways that, that it can be done. Yeah, so the, the three primary best available technologies in the water industry right now are granulator activated carbon, GAC, uh, ion exchange, which goes by IX, and uh, reverse osmosis, which goes by RO. They all have <coughs> pros and cons. And I would say, again, back to Mark's earlier point about research, uh, there's sort of a race in the water industry right now to find some additional technologies as well. But just really quick recap, Granular activated carbon, it's what's called an absorption technology. It uses media, for lack of a better term, with pockets on it. And these large man-made compounds sort of adhere to these pockets and they're trapped there. So then you have the clean water that's uh, extracted from this filter, which is great, but the PFAS itself hasn't been destroyed. It's just located on the media. And as a result, eventually all of these pockets are going to be occupied and you need to physically replace that media and put new media in. Um, for again, from a public health perspective, it's very good, but it's also very tedious and quite expensive from a utility perspective because you need to keep replacing this media uh, on a relatively high frequency. And, and again, if you have a higher concentration of PFAS coming in, you're going to replace that media even faster, right? On top of that, you have the fact that once you remove the media, the PFAS is still located on it. So you actually have to 
go through a thermal process essentially to destroy the PFAS before or incinerate it before you actually um, remove the media back into the environment altogether. Ion exchange, pretty similar. It's an absorption technology, but you actually backwash the filter and actually remove the waste stream there. The problem is now all the PFAS is concentrated in the waste stream. Where does it go from there? Reverse osmosis is very similar to ion exchange in the fact that it's a physical barrier, it's not an absorption, but this physical barrier then has the PFAS concentrated on it when you backwash the filter. It's very concentrated again. So essentially you're just moving the problem to a different area and then you need to remove it. And really incineration technologies seem to be the best right now, these thermal processes. Uh, but uh, again, it's from a cost-effective perspective, as Mark pointed out, you know, who's really footing the bill for that? How can we afford to, to do this? That's going to be a real big challenge for a lot of these utilities. Yeah, and then I think exactly, Kevin. And, you know, the, I mean, the utilities are not used to handling hazardous waste from their water treatment process. You know, that's the, the biggest thing that, to take away from all what Kevin just said, because that hazardous waste has the PFAS in it. And so, you know, how is it handled, how it's destroyed. I think Kevin's exactly right. You know, incineration, high temperature incineration is what I've heard is the only way to really re completely remove the PFAS. But again, you know, it's going to take special processes and special controls to ensure that, that you know, that granulated carbon after it's been used doesn't end up in a landfill because then it's just going to continue the whole thing again. Right. And in terms of, of cost effectiveness, are, are there... Are they all pretty pretty even in terms of the options that are available, or is there one solution that's rising to the top at this time? That's a really good question, Amanda. I, I would say all of the three that best available technologies that we've reviewed, GAC or granular activated carbon appears to be the most cost effective of the three. That's not to say that it's cheap. Um, but uh, I will say this, that again, that's very specific on a couple of things. First, the concentration of the PFAS coming in, and then two, uh, the actual type of PFAS compound. Again, there's a whole family of compounds, and because it's an absorption technology, uh, GAC is very media-specific. So you have to have a very specific media for the GAC or the PFAS compound that you're trying to remove, and if you have say a compound that for example is more requires a more costly media to assemble or to purchase then all of a sudden that kind of tips the scales in the other direction but i would say in general gac has been the most adopted technology in the water industry today to hear more discussions about challenges and trends in today's water industry, tune in to our other shows on Solving Water, a Xylem podcast, including In the Field with Gould's Water Technology about issues impacting the residential and agricultural markets, Through the Water Cycle, a series reviewing every aspect of the water utilities segment from treatment to monitoring and reuse, and the Bell & Gossip podcast focused on HVAC and plumbing systems for commercial building services. Stream, download, and subscribe for these episodes and more. So then what is, and then this is directed for Mark, um, but what is the government doing about this? I mean, at federal, local, state levels, what? Yeah, so so Amanda, it's, it is a, a great 
great that you point out state level because are getting involved. Um, you know, I think the, 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 the main place I'd start is that the, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA as we'll refer to it, has, um, they really own this. And the first thing that they have to do is they have to set what the, the toxicity level of PFAS, you know, is safely, is safe for humans to consume. And so um, that is a very time-consuming thing to identify, to determine. So uh, EPA has a process for doing these kind of things. The process has started, it's underway, but it takes time. And uh, I can tell you one of the things that we, we follow at Xylem is we closely look at what EPA research is going on, where they're funding university research projects. And I think last time I looked, almost 80% of their, their funded projects are focused on PFAS research. So, you know, they're, they are on it, they're working on it, but it, it, it is taking time. And I think that's leading to frustration amongst our elected officials, both at the state and federal level. Um, you know, there's a lot of concern about those military families I mentioned earlier, because they, they are being subjected to some particularly high exposure levels. States are frustrated with the slowness and the response coming out of Washington. So some states have gone ahead and set their own toxicity level. So, um, you know, and, and I'll just say that, you know, I am not for states stepping in because then it becomes very difficult because every state's got a different level of compliance. So it gets very complicated for water agencies and manufacturers like Xylem to be able to comply. So, um, you know, I think, you know, so everyone is pressuring the EPA and um, I, I think, you know, they, they deserve the pressure. They understand, you know, that why they're under it and they're, they're focused on it. So I think, uh, you know, that's, that's really the, the best way I can put it to you right now, where it stands. I can tell you that there's um, a lot of talk in Washington, particularly in, in defense appropriations, that, you know, there's going to be money set aside for the military installations to start treating their PFAS. And, you know, I think that they're, they're just looking to do anything because they're so worried about how high the levels are in some of those areas. So, um, but I, I would just say there's a tremendous amount going on. Um, but it just hasn't yielded a complete directional you know, solution saying this is what we're doing. And that's, that's really you know, the biggest frustration that everyone has. Um, I would ask, are there any regulations in place now? Or, I mean, or can they not be because they don't know the, the appropriate toxicity levels? So some of the states have set the toxicity level. So if you live in one of those states, you know, all of this, the water agencies in those states are being mandated to control the PFAS okay. to those levels. Okay. Um, federally, as Kevin said, some of the chemicals were essentially banned years ago. So they've been removed. Okay. So they're not being used in current manufacture, but there are other forms of PFAS that are still being used. So, um, you know, what's going to happen to those? Will they be allowed to stay on the market? That's a, a question and subject that we can't answer at this point. So, um, you know, I, I think certainly there's a lot of people taking things into their own hands. And I think, you know, the good thing is, is as Kevin said, there are three different forms of treatment. You can take action. You can start to do things. But, uh, you know, I, I think in general, you know, the, the weight is to get that EPA level set so that every state knows and every water agency knows that this is what I have to do. And then obviously there's a tremendous amount of um, cases in the, in the legal system that are pertaining to some of these larger contaminations and trying to get help with the remediation because it is going to be very expensive. Wow. Okay. 
And then what, let's kick it over to Xylem now. Xylem, you know, we're focused on water, solving critical water challenges globally. This qualifies as a critical water challenge. Um, so where, what, where do we stand on, on PFAS and what are we trying to do to help clean it up? I'll start with just what can we do today? Um, and again, the, the first thing that uh, we've really put our weight behind is, is focusing on some of these GAC or granular activated carbon filtration removal systems that uh, we can actually uh, deploy with our filtration technologies today. So that's the easiest thing. Um, the second thing, and, and Mark's already touched on it, is uh, we're um, very involved with the uh, academic world and partnering with these universities to develop research for alternative technologies and approaches in the future um, that are, have demonstrated promise on a smaller scale and uh, they can really use the backing of Xylem and our expertise to help them scale up rather rapidly. In fact, one of the things that uh, I was just involved with last week was uh, talking to a utility about bringing one of those technologies from the bench scale at the university into an actual pilot treatment process uh, on their site. So uh, that's the second thing that we can do right from the get-go. And then I'm sure Mark might want to add something just from uh, you know the lobbying perspective, how we would want to approach that. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. But but just you know, certainly we have made ourselves available to federal agencies, to elected officials, and just said, hey. You know, water, as you said, Amanda, you know, we address water issues around the world. So, um, you know, we are getting questions. We are getting people saying, you know, can you help me understand more about that? I think that's probably the biggest thing right now is people are just trying to understand. So much like this conversation that we're having today just helps to bring this to a higher level of awareness and, and makes people understand that there are solutions out there, um, you know, and, and also explain why does it seem like nothing's happening? Because, you know, stuff is happening, but just it isn't defined yet. And we all look for, you know, that definition to clearly clear the air on this matter. So, um, you know, right now on the, on the lobbying side of things, I wouldn't say we're actually lobbying, but we are making ourselves available as a, as a water resource to assist, whether it's a water utility, whether it's an elected official, whether it's a, a local agency, and um, just, just trying to make sure that they feel a comfort that there are people out there focused on this and we do have solutions that we can help. Well, it's really good to know. Um, my, one of the questions I was going to ask is how are we helping our customers when it comes to PFAS? Um, because we don't make the GAC media itself, but Kevin, you talked about filtration technologies a little bit. Of course, we offer reverse osmosis as well. Um, but you know, working in the water utility space, I mean, this is largely going to be their issue to remediate. So what are some ways that Xylem is helping our customers now, or we, we can, some stuff we can look to do in the future? Again, I think the first and foremost, anytime you're dealing with, um, you know, contaminant emerging concern like PFAS, not just PFAS, but any contaminant emerging concern, you really need to understand what your site-specific challenges are. And so you can always start with just reaching out to us as a resource, as Mark mentioned, just for our application expertise. But at the bottom end of the day, you're gonna to need to do some sort of study, more than likely a pilot study. And that's where we can kind of step in and 
yes, we don't actually manufacture the media, but we make the filtration technologies that surround the media. And so we can kind of deliver the entire solution. That's where the let's solve water comes in and actually help the utility understand, all right, these are the right operating parameters. These are the right design conditions so that we can protect our entire municipality of say 100,000 people. Um, it's just making sure that you get the testing done in a very scientific, accurate way. And that's where Xylem, we're the number one solution provider, in my personal opinion, in that regard anyways. So. <laughs> no, I think expertise is yeah. absolutely an offering to help in this situation. The knowledge of our people and our, um, and look like to your point, the chemical engineering side of things. I mean, that's what people need is that, that understanding and that help. So what's next in the, in the fight to clean up PFAS? Uh, I understand that, you know, with Mark, Mark saying that they're, you know, the EPA has to determine the national toxicity level so we can understand how to move forward. Um, we talked about the three different treatment options right now. Um, what do you guys see coming? I mean, is there any, is there anything coming out of this research that's being done with these universities already that we're starting to see some, some solutions emerge or do you, or just, we don't know yet. Yeah. I don't have any specific knowledge of the research, you know, um, at this point, Amanda, you know, I think, um, you know, it, it, you just have to understand, I mean, how does the human body respond to, you know, small levels of PPOS as being assessed versus large, you know, exposures. And then, you know, where do we need to be addressing it? Is it on drinking water side or do we need to make sure it's coming out of wastewater? I mean, um, it, it's just, there's so many different angles, you know, water, you know, it, it's so vital to every living human being that, uh, you know, how do you, how do we break the process? That's really what I think the focus is. And, you know, it, it, it's going to be, it's not going to be one solution. It's going to be many solutions is, is my assessment of how this is going to be solved. Yeah, I concur with Mark. I mean, I don't think that there's any leading research uh, out there today that we haven't already discussed or that would, we would feel comfortable making a broad sweeping claim on mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a forum like this. But that being said, I, I do think that if we keep our nose to the grindstone as an industry, not just asylum, uh, and really focus on executing against this action plan that the US EPA put together, we're going to have the right information that we need to make those um, decisions that uh, are best for all, all everyone's public health, which is critical. So, so how, how, how um, did you guys become the, the PFAS guys for Xylem? I mean, I see Mark said there's a little bit more of an obvious tie because you know, you're already working um, with Washington on some of this stuff. But how did you guys become like the de facto PFAS experts for Zion? Yeah, you want to take a crack at that first? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll go first. Um, again, I'm a I'm chemical engineer by study. Uh, I've always had a very strong interest in treatment technologies and, and process engineering in general for both water our drinking water and wastewater. And for that reason, it was sort of a nat natural segue into getting involved with contaminants of emerging concern. Obviously PFAS is one of those, uh, and that's uh, 
the primary reason I'm our de facto expert or one of our de facto experts, if you will. Mark? Yeah, and, and, and for me, Amanda, it was, you know, as I said, you know, we, we in Washington, you know, we, we do lobby certainly, but we also offer ourselves as a resource for um, anybody who has questions or concerns about water. So um, one of those questions and concerns that I started hearing a lot was about this subject. And so, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not a chemical engineer. I am an engineer, but not a chemical engineer. So, you know, I'm more of a generalist. So I just needed to be able to know enough to be able to communicate and talk about the subject and when necessary, refer somebody to a local expert within Xylem. So, you know, that's, I became knowledgeable of the subject just because it's so popular of a discussion point, you know, in Washington and around all the states right now. Well, thank you both for all of the information. Is there anything else about PFAS that I haven't asked or we should cover before we close up? Nothing from mine. I think we've, we've hit all the real big points. I'll just maybe quickly add to one thing that Mark mentioned is that um, I will say the US EPA, to their credit, uh, I agree that there's a lot of people chopping at the bit for federal regulation. I do agree that it would be ideal if there's a federal regulation so we don't have this choppy state-to-state -state environment of the different regulations. But that being said, they have added uh, PFO and PFOS to the PFOS com uh, compounds to the con can contaminant candidate list uh, just uh, earlier this year. Um, and so that is the next step that they would need to take in the Safe Drinking Water Act to make sure that it does meet a regulation in the future. How quickly that's gonna happen, I can't say. Yeah, no, I, I think in, in that, that, that timing is the biggest question. And um, there is, you know, I think EPA is saying we have to spend the right amount of time to research this. And so that's why they haven't said we're gonna have an answer by this day. So, you know, I think we've, we've covered a great, you know, a lot of topics on this issue. So it's a you know, thank you, Amanda, and, you know, for putting this together. Um, you know, I might just say, you know, just kind of a teaser, where we go next on another t uh, podcast. And I think uh, certainly one that's getting a lot of attention in the industry right now is the fact that we are in the middle of this pandemic and there is research coming out that the, the, the virus can live in wastewater, you know, so, um, Huge topic of interest, great deal of concern amongst the water agencies and how do they protect their employees. But uh, I think something that we'll want to talk about. Absolutely. That is definitely on my list. Um, I know we've been hearing more about it just internally with some of our leadership at Xylem and, and the, the steps that we're starting to take um, globally to understand this. So, uh, yeah, you, you may very well be asked back to be part of that conversation or multiple conversations that we may have on that topic. So again, thank you both for, for joining us today. Uh, really, really appreciate your time and all this information. I think, um, I think it's been extremely insightful um, for all of us. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks. The Solving Water Podcast is produced and distributed by Xylem a global water technology company of more than 16,000 employees committed to solving critical water and infrastructure challenges worldwide. Stream, download, and subscribe 